0: Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as in traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. Well, thank you for both coming (laughs) on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. For having us. would you both like to provide a little background information about yourselves and maybe talk about some things that you do to stay well?
1: Absolutely. So I'll go first. Hi, I'm Callie. Um, so a little bit of background info of me, I guess. Um, I always, always laugh when this question is asked because I'm like, oh, gosh, you need like three years to hear of my background info, but let's try and like cut it down a little bit. Um, <laughs> so um, I have a lived experience of an eating disorder. Um, I was formally diagnosed at twelve years old. Um, and my kind of journey with that went for 16 years. Um, I always kind of throw it back a little bit earlier than that though. I always talk about with people that if I really went back to the um, beginning of I guess when things were kind of coming up for me, I probably would have been about four or five years old. And I always kind of like to talk about that because I think it's important um and something that both and Katrina and I are passionate about is um, you know, early intervention and you know diet culture within the home and kind of where it comes from so I always like to try and mention that as well um and yeah so I recovered I've been recovered for four years now um and I'm now working as an eating disorder practitioner with my incredible friend and colleague Katrina
2: (laughs) and yeah that's me I'm Katrina um (laughs) good intro um and I have also have a lived experience of disordered eating Um, I was never formally diagnosed and you know that's a a long story and um, I think something that like many people will relate to about um, fears of getting help because of someone's body size and not being believed and um, being dismissed so I think it's really important for me I really connect with the the wording of disordered eating because it's really important for me to connect to all those other people who had a similar experience mm. to me that it was never recognised. Um, so, yeah, that's my experience. And I obviously work with um, Kelly. We have our own business. So it's called Lotus Eating yeah. Support, and I'm an eating disorder practitioner and a social worker. Um, yeah. And yeah, we're just two eating disorder practitioners with lived experience who are so passionate about supporting all people and yeah it's really, really great to work with a friend it's like kind yeah. of a bonus <laughs> yeah definitely
1: and we're both mums <laughs> which oh, I yeah. think is really important to mention as well so I have a little nine-month-old daughter and Katrina has two gorgeous little boys okay. um that take up a lot of our life as well so that's a lot of our background as well um and Look, we have a lot of specialist interest areas within the eating disordered world as well. We both have, I have a lived experience of trauma and domestic violence. Um, so I have done a lot of training in that regard as well. And I know Katrina's done similar training. We both have a background of child safety. Um, and, yeah, things we do to keep well. Well, we're both, I'm a water baby. Katrina, I know you're a water baby as well. Yeah. You live like yeah. 100 metres from the beach.
2: <laughs> Pretty lucky. Um, yeah, i Uh, I love being in nature. That's something that I find so healing and feel so connected and grounded and something that I think really helps me in my own journey and really passionate. We'll probably talk about it a bit through this chat, but I'm really passionate (laughs) about um, grounding techniques. That's something that I find is really good to help me when I'm, you know, to help me keep well. Yes.
1: And uh, talking helps me keep well as well. Sorry, we could just like helps you you well. Talking helps me keep well as well. So hence, um, we mentioned to you just before Jesse that we call each other almost every day. Talking to a really good friend helps me keep well as well. So yeah, that's us. Yes, lovely, and it is amazing
0: <laughs> the range that you both have of different experiences because eating disorders are so unique and individual, and they can really go in all different directions. So it's really good to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So on the topic of today, we are talking about those with a history of eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So even after someone is physically recovered from an eating disorder, why might people still need to recover
2: psychologically? Yeah, Katrina. Yeah, I can go for that one. Um, (laughs) So I think what it's really important to talk about is that Um, a physical recovery obviously is so vital and so important but that's not something that's going to be in everyone's journey in that there Mm. are many eating disorders experiences and presentations that they may they may not be a part of their recovery journey Um, so for those people the journey is the psychological journey it is the emotional journey it is the the mental health journey and for those people that their recovery includes a physical recovery it's both of those things and both of those things connected to each other and I think the reason why that's so important to talk about is like we were just saying before eating disorder eating disorder experiences are so diverse and that um that is recovery to us. Like we really fundamentally believe recovery is the mental, emotional and mental health journey.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree with that, Katrina. And, you know, coming from, I guess, a trauma background as Mm. well, um, you know, we know that eating disorders can safeguard a lot of really horrible internal feelings, a lot of really um, horrible experiences that somebody might be experiencing as well you know we talk a lot about how an eating disorder can come sometimes keep you safe it can sometimes really i guess mask all of these other really horrible you know other psychological symptoms so you know we think it's as Katrina said it's not always a physical recovery but we definitely think you know once you're at a space to be able to work on psychological recovery that's where the real work is done and you know being able to reach a space where you can start doing, you know, different kinds of therapy that aren't focused just around an eating disorder. Um, there's a lot of healing there. Um, you know, there's trauma-specific therapies that you can be doing. We believe that's vital vital to healing. Um, you know, once the eating disorder has kind of been worked on, it can often just uncover a whole heap of other stuff, um, yeah. which, yeah, then just really needs to be nurtured and worked on to, towards healing as
0: well. Yeah. So then why even after you feel that you've somewhat kind of worked on the mental health side of recovery, why might eating disorder thoughts and feelings still come up and how can we best respond to them?
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, we live in 2023, so I just want to start there. (laughs) Where diet culture is everywhere, I don't think you can walk out your front door without being hit with something diet culture wise. Couple that with, you know, fat phobia and just the general messaging that we receive as humans in 2023, we are really passionate about being really realistic about, um, you know, thoughts maybe still popping up and being really realistic about, you know, oh, gosh, that was such a coping mechanism for you for such a long time. Of course, that maybe something really horrible may have happened. Of course, a thought might be able to, might pop up. Um, what we really focus on then is, you know, having the skill set there, having your toolbox there. We really mm. talk about toolbox, and I'll throw it to Katrina because <laughs> she's really amazing about talking about toolboxes. And we have like our little toolbox that we, you know, the analogy that you use, you can just open it and you've got a tool there that you can use to kind of, oh, I noticed that eating disorder thought. I don't do that anymore. Something really bad has happened. This is the skill that I'm going to use instead of engaging in my eating disorder. Um, but yeah, like I said, Katrina's incredible about talking about our toolbox and I'm probably probably like, what do you mean a toolbox? So <laughs> Katrina, can you please like just explain that so I don't sound like a babbling.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I would just completely agree with what Kelly said there. Like for me, for example, um, I would still have thoughts from time to time. And I think that's completely realistic and I completely believe I'm recovered. And those thoughts are not necessarily distressing to me. They're just a thought that I have that I'm able to leave as a thought. It's not a fact. It's not anything more than a thought. Um, does it maybe make me feel a little not great sometimes? Yeah, but I have the strategies to keep myself safe. And that's what I believe the toolbox is, that when those moments come up in life, which they will, and we need to be realistic about that because that's how I believe you stay in recovery, um, because you protect and care for your recovery. Yeah. And that toolbox, I, I open my toolbox and I go, hey, what are my favourite strategies? What options do I have? Hey, I'm going to try this one. Oh, uh, that one didn't really feel great. I'm going to try this one. And I have built that toolbox for myself over years and um, really worked out what are the best options in that toolbox for me as an individual person. Um, and that's yeah. what we're really passionate about at our service loaders um, to create for other people, that individual toolbox.
1: Ooh, yeah really so my like... toolbox oh sorry
0: you go sorry no I'd say oh I'd really love to hear what's in both of your toolboxes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I
1: was yeah. gonna say our toolboxes look different too because <laughs> yeah. we're very very passionate about making sure it's individualized we believe that's kind of the way forward to working with people with eating disorders is making sure that care is so individualized because everyone is unique and different and Katrina and I whilst we have a lot of similarities <laughs> we also have a lot of things that we are completely different you know, completely different. We spoke about the other day, and this is a bit of a weird toolbox item, but we spoke the other day about our different ways of coping with, um, you know, what's going on in our life, like keeping track of what appointments we have in our day. So my toolbox strategy of that is I have a big whiteboard um, in my office and on my fridge. And at the beginning of each month, I sit there and I write down everything that I know that I have that month and I write it all out. Whereas I can see Katrina, smiling. I know this is a podcast, so you can't see that. She's like, I can see her like anxiety like creeping up because I know that it gives her like an anxiety attack to think about me doing that. And I know that she loves to use a calendar on her phone. And that's a toolbox item that you have, Katrina.
2: Yeah, I, I do, I do. That's a, a big um for me to have it all there because um for me like my memory would really struggle with Kelly's version of that toolbox <laughs> strategy. And so then my version of that would be that everything is on my phone in one place. I touch it, you know, I put it in when I'm aware of the appointment and then that's it. Um, yeah. And that's what works for me. And that's kind of a really cool example, good idea, Kelly, of um, <laughs> how sometimes there is a similar strategy in other people's toolbox, but it looks different in what works for you as a person. Exactly. And we put a lot of um, strategies up on our Instagram as well. Like we, we, do, know, we, yeah. we try the reels, you know, we're we're, we're <laughs> just a is of practitioners, not influencers, but we, we do our best. <laughs> and like the cry. other day I was filming one about on hard body image days, I have a uniform and it's mm-hmm. a certain items in my wardrobe that I pull out. I know they're comfortable. I know they fit me well. I know that they look okay together. I don't actually have to think through it. It's just I put it out, I put it on, and that helps me in that not getting stuck in that process of what to put on, yeah. what to choose on a hard body image day. And that's a strategy I still use on days I just like, yeah. oh, I wake up and I'm just not feeling, you know, really enthused. And I just go Put that outfit on, and then like it just helps me take that next step to the day. So that's another yeah. one that I really like as well. Yeah, I,
1: I love really that one as me.
2: well.
0: <laughs> I have an individual one where like if I've had a bad day or something, I'll get my like best clothes out, like dress up, even if yeah. I'm just going to like, yeah buy food. I'll literally be just so dressed up, all dolled up, and I'll be like, I feel better.
1: I feel yeah, that's <laughs> and that's what it's all about. Hey, like this doing what you know will make you feel good in that moment however that looks it really works and looking at the ocean and the ocean
2: yeah (laughs) I think sometimes people are like but these things sound so simple like and the thing is though those everyday things that care for yourself are generally the simple things yeah and they may sound really small but when you add it all together, those are the Mm -hmm. things that I always find. And I think all the clients that we work with find that are actually so powerful and meaningful and can make actually such a huge difference. And that's Um, the
1: key, isn't it? Like you want it to be simple. You want these strategies and these toolbox items to be really simple because in the moment you might be really distressed. If you have something that's really elaborate and hard to kind of get out of your toolbox then you're realistically not going to use it because this is going to be adding more stress onto your already distressed state so we want really simple things you know um you know i know when i'm having trauma symptoms i can just i write down you know my name is Callie. i live in 2000 it's 2023 i live here my partner is you know drew and that's really simple but that's what brings me back to the moment they need to be really simple things that you can just kind of naturally do um because otherwise you're just adding to your distress so yeah we want them to be simple
2: (laughs) and what I would say is that like when you're building your toolbox I think it can be really hard because people often and this is a really natural thing try that strategy that their practitioner or psychologist or counselor's Um, suggested in the moment yeah (laughs) and that's actually the exact opposite of what I would advise people to do and what I do a strategy should be used when things are going well when things are when you're having a good day you should be practicing that strategy when you have the best chance and I say that because if we're turning to a brand new strategy when we're distressed or we're heightened or whatever's happening for us it's really hard to connect to it because it's not familiar. Mm. It may feel really a bit awkward um, and it, it doesn't feel natural. And so yeah. I talk all about like, let's connect with this strategy when things are going well so that when we need it, it kind of just feels like a natural rhythm of oh, this is what we do. And it's yeah. less, it's less thinking and just more natural doing. Um, and that's probably, I think my biggest advice, um, of what's worked for me and what I suggest yeah. to others
1: and you can really tie that back into you know in recovery when you know you know you have an eating disorder thought you can really tie that back into those eating disorder thoughts coming up you know I've got all of these strategies all of these tools in my toolbox that now I can do that instead of doing that eating disorder thought so it all really just ties really beautifully in together yeah, yeah definitely mm-hmm.
0: So then why might people who have a history of an eating disorder be more vulnerable to engaging in old behaviors during difficult times?
1: Yeah. I can go. Do yeah, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah, Because you think about it, right? Yeah. If I think about it, I can use myself as an example. Right. So I had an eating disorder diagnosed formally for 16 years for 16 years. I was engaging in this behavior, um, this coping mechanism for a very, very long time. So in recovery now, it's like, of course, you know, it might be natural for these things to come up because it was such a coping mechanism for so long. And it takes a really long time to build up other things. And so when something really traumatic, something really big may have happened for you, that has been your natural instinct for a very long time. So, to then pivot and do something else, that's forming an entirely new neural pathway. Um, and that takes practice. You know, this neural pathway of engaging in an eating disorder behavior is very kind of deeply ingrained into your brain. It takes a lot of practice to then form new neural pathways um, to just like do them naturally you know, I, I said, I'm fully recovered. I'm fully recovered now for four years. It's still practice for me. And that's not a bad thing. That's just, that's just how it is. It's still practice. And I think it's realistically going to be practice for somebody who's susceptible to for eating disorders, disordered eating for likely the rest of their life, which is an okay thing. I don't see that as like a bad thing at all. It just is. Um, It's just maintenance on recovery. Um, And I know that Katrina, like she's, passionate about the same thing so I know that she would agree with me um especially on the neural pathway front and she can probably speak to it more from a disordered eating kind of viewpoint as well and living you know in a world where you know I'm in a very privileged body we both are but I know that Katrina you know that's part of her experience as well as her body
2: yeah and I think that protecting my recovery and protecting protecting my healing I don't view that as continuous work I just view that as a natural thing that I do and that I'm conscious of and it just is and Mm. um, there are times where maybe yeah there's distress or stress in my life and maybe a thought does pop up then but that's when I go back to that toolbox and you know Kelly talks about me (laughs) being the toolbox person but that is when I go Mm. back to that toolbox and that's the difference um, yeah. So, I think it's incredibly normal, and I really want to validate that it is incredibly normal for many people for those thoughts to pop up during vulnerable mm. times. Mm. And that accepting to me that that's normal stops that shame spiral for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's, I think that was a huge part of my personal healing of yeah. accepting that that's okay and that doesn't mean anything about what type of recovery I, I have. Um, it mm. really prevented that shame spiral of, falling into then that can kind of really connect then to re-engaging um so yeah that's
1: yeah it's really funny isn't it Uh, Katrina was actually and I were actually speaking about this just the other day how actually people who are in recovery from an eating disorder or who are recovered from an eating disorder or disordered eating or whatever it might look like for them we actually think that they're better at this than people who have never had a history of an eating disorder Because because people who have never had a history of an eating disorder have never really had to consciously think about these things. And we always find that this relationship to um, you know, being well and wellness, um, like in that kind of sense, um, like we find these people are better at it because people who've never had that are just like, that's just that's just the way it is. You know, it's two thousand like I said, it's two thousand twenty three, diet culture is everywhere, fat phobia is everywhere, you know. We find that these people actually engage in these kind of disordered behaviors a lot more than people who are actually recovered or recovering. And we find that quite interesting, mm. especially when you think about like expecting yourself to kind of, you know, never have to maintain, you know, never have to think about those again. If that makes sense. I don't know if I made any sense. What I'm following. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the people though who
0: haven't been taking care of their mental or um, emotional selves? What would you say you use that um, could be good tools for those people?
2: Um, Yes, good toolbox question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I think I would say is, I can't give that person that clear answer without knowing them or knowing their individual experience, because I could say, Oh, Hey, there's this strategy, this, this strategy, but they may, that may not just match them and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I guess um, some general things is like we have, um, I talk about grounding techniques because I, I, I love them, um, mm-hmm. but uh, we have a free grounding techniques sort of like PDF visual um workbook or page on our website that anyone can go and download um that's free um and it kind of gives different examples of things that may be worth giving a try in um, grounding techniques if that's not something Mm. um, people are exposed to so that could look like um the five four three two one strategy like looking around the room and going through your senses five things you can see four things you can touch and so on Mm. Um, I'm I really like ice as one of my grounding techniques. I really like um, just watching ice melt in my
1: hand. Yeah. Um, it's kind of really stripping it back, really, isn't yeah. it, Katrina? To like the really bare basics of like, hey, okay, because you might not be looking after your emotional or mental well-being right now, so let's really strip it back to the really basics of using some grounding techniques. Let's, you know, what's going to make you start that kind of path to be able to do that. And we really work from a kind of meeting you where you're at, kind of. Yeah. point as well so if that's where they're at we're not going to you know suggest these really big ideas and these really big things because that just might not be realistic for them at that time um we also work from a harm reduction kind of point of view as well so if they're really not looking after their emotional and mental mental health at this moment then you know the best that you know they might be able to do in that moment is i don't know have a shower that day And so that might be something that's realistic for them and something that we can work on and then celebrate with them because that's a really huge thing. And, you know, and it might not be, you know, I've hit my meal plan entirely for the day. I've done, you know, everything that was asked for me because that's just not where they're at and that's not realistic in the time. So let's not put that expectation on them. Let's really draw it back and go back to the really simple things, opening up that toolbox, really having a chat to them about, okay, what is realistic? How can we start this process And keep you safe.
2: And I think that kind of takes that perfectionistic view of how do we get to recovery? Because I think that is something many people would relate to off Mm. the table, in that I would never expect what that idea of perfection is to achieve everything in that one day if you're yeah. trying and you achieve something that takes care of you that's amazing and I'm so proud mm. of you and I'm so excited for you and yeah. let's see what we can do from there let's see what we can maintain let's see what we can build um yeah. but kind of taking that perfect perfection like 100 yeah it's like that the table scale for people, particularly if you're if you're not caring for yourself at all going from this point to that point, that's an extreme. So, yeah. how do we get there? How do we build that? That that's sustainable for you, and that's kind yeah. of what we're really passionate about as well. And I think it's what we both gave ourselves um, compassion to apply to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And what about for someone for people who have um, a history of eating disorders? What can they kind of do if people still comment on dieting, food, or people's bodies?
1: I'm going to
2: throw Um, that to you, Katrina. Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think the answer to that can be different for different people and in different people's body sizes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I'll say that is that when we have privileged in our body size, our exposure to that in society, we're still going to be exposed, of course, Mm -hmm. but at significantly less levels and significantly Mm -hmm. less Discrimination yep. of those levels, and so I think yep. if we're talking yep. from a general perspective, what can we do? We can we can work on what we're we're doing on social media. Like if we're following people that are unhelpful yep. or triggering to us or portraying diet culture mef- messages, unfollow. Like that's yep. that's not a helpful thing to us long term, and it's just gonna keep trying to drag us back and back and in. Um, I think that's a huge one that I would really recommend. Um, People talking about diet cultures, uh, diets or diet culture around us, I think that is when we need to have our own boundaries. And a boundary can look so differently. um, And I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do that boundary. Sometimes that might be, I'm just going to walk away from this conversation. I just, I don't have the capacity right now to do anything more. And that's what's safe. Another time that might be saying something verbally, like, can we please stop talking about this? This is not helpful. Um, Another thing might be, if that's a friend or a loved one, sitting down with them in the future and saying, this isn't helpful for my recovery. This is really hard. I'm asking you to respect my boundary. Can you please not do that? And so I think there's so many ways we can do that. I think the hard thing is that, like I mentioned earlier, when you may be in a larger body size, that this is something that can be a huge part of your struggle to maintain recovery in that society is saying things that can really yeah. push you back um, and that's really hard and I think yeah. I think we need to have compassion of, of that experience and trying yeah. to keep people who experience that as safe as possible because it's really hard and it's something I've experienced yeah. myself and it's really hard.
0: And I think that's so important though. Yeah, I think. Element? You go. (laughs) I really love the vulnerability element that you've added there and feeling safe to be vulnerable with the people around you. So why is it then be vulnerable with people when you feel maybe you are going through a difficult time?
1: Yeah. Look, I think you need to be a safe space I guess to be vulnerable with people so I think obviously you can't be vulnerable with everybody you've kind of got kind of to pinpoint the people that you feel safe to be vulnerable with and you've got to be kind of in a place to be able it's going to sound really all around the place but stay with me to be able to be vulnerable um because if you're not you might be opening up a whole bunch of arms, but ugh, look we have clients that are vulnerable with us every day and what that means to us is that we can really work with them we can really work with them where we're at rather than, you know, they might be feeling one thing, but we have absolutely no idea that that's where they're at. And so we're kind of on a different wavelength altogether and trying to work on something that is completely out of, you know, the sphere of where they're at. So, you know, we appreciate our clients being vulnerable with us, because that means that we can really sit with them where they're at, work with them where they're at, and kind of move at that pace rather than you know moving at a pace that isn't you know appropriate for them whatsoever and I think I always say um you know we don't know what we don't know so if we don't know that that's where you're at then we can't really meet you where you're at and I think that's the same with you know anybody in a person's life that they trust and that they are working with and that they feel okay to be vulnerable with um if that person that you trust doesn't know that that's where you're at, then, you know, I think the individual might find it very difficult then to kind of get any sort of appropriate help because, you know, they're just going to be like, well, you're you just suggesting all these things that don't, you know, aren't even relevant to me because I just feel like that's completely out of my capabilities. You know, whatever your capabilities are, it is you can be worked with. At that kind of point, I don't believe in you needing to be getting everything perfect. I don't believe in, you know, the individual needing to please us or please anybody that they trust,
0: Mm.
1: because that's just not realistic. It's setting yourself up for failure. And I don't like setting people up for failure. So I believe it's important to be vulnerable with those that you trust, because then we can work with you. Then we can really support you in a way that is individualized to you and really hold you where you're at. We really believe in client-centered care, and I believe that's at the core of it.
2: And I think what I would add is that the things that I used to think were so vulnerable for me to talk about, I don't feel that way anymore. Um, And that's that's just me, but I think talking about things that have been hard for me over time, talking has made that not so hard for me to talk about. And so, like talking about what we just talked about, that doesn't feel vulnerable to me at all. Uh, yeah. Nothing here talking about that feels vulnerable. I, I actually feel like passionate and protective and, and it brings you that know, shame, doesn't it? Yeah, there's, I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. Once ago, this wouldn't be stuff I would have whispered into a, a dark, empty room. Um, yeah. But talking about things over time, that vulnerability changes. And there's still yeah. things in my life that maybe I still feel vulnerable talking about and find hard. Um, and they're things that i i do I do push myself to talk about because I know that I can get to that point where it doesn't feel so vulnerable and hard anymore. And yeah. I think that's personally why I think being vulnerable when it's safe to do so with a safe person is so important yeah. because it changes how. Yeah. yeah, that's what I would add to
1: because <laughs> I feel like you get really stuck in this narrative, right of you know that being in your brain and You know, assuming that maybe this person is going to think XYZ about, you know, where I'm at, what I'm feeling, the things that have happened to me, the thoughts that I'm having. And I think that's a very common experience for probably most people. Um, you know, you get really your brain really takes you on this narrative that isn't necessarily true. So I find like when you actually voice it to somebody, you know most of the time I'm not gonna say it's all the time but most of the time that person's reaction might shock you and you might be like oh okay so my brain was really just taking off on a narrative that probably wasn't really quite true this person's reaction was nothing like what I thought it would be this person is actually just you know I don't know concerned for me um they just want to be there for me they they just want you know they're, they're appreciative that they've told you know that I've told them something really, you know, vulnerable. Um, they actually just want to sit there and, you know, maybe talk to me, hold my hand, whatever you know you need in that moment. And I guess that can what that that can then do is provide evidence that you know all of those thoughts in your brain where you know I can't be vulnerable, I can't tell people this, that's disgusting, that's shameful it kind of provides evidence that isn't really true. So I think that's really important in talking about vulnerability as well. Um, because that's what we need to kind of fight back against that nasty person in your brain is evidence that actually that's not true. And I hope that most of the time the person that you're safe with will kind of give that evidence to you if you choose to say people honestly.
0: And I think yeah. it's such a breath of fresh air when you do hear someone's true feelings and intentions just so like hits the heart because you understand them more and what they're feeling what they're doing doing. it's just so real
1: oh and look I you know even my friendship with Katrina she's like you know she's my business partner but she's also my friend and you know we're extremely vulnerable with each other every single day and it forms connections it forms really strong friendships and connections with other people because then what that can often do is open up the door for them to be vulnerable with you. And that's, I don't know, to me, I don't know if you guys agree, but that's the kind of friendship I want. <laughs>
0: Definitely. Just <Yeah>. the
1: <laughs> real, real side of people and who they really are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want people pretending. No. Be Be real with me, be authentic with me because that's where, you know, that's where you can really sit in some really good stuff. Definitely. So then, lastly, do we have any advice for
0: someone that may have a history of an eating disorder but isn't getting as much support as
2: they need? Mm. Yes, we do. Hello, we're here. Um... Who's going to say say it? Well, yeah. No, honestly, like we're 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 in sort of practitioners that offer support and would love to support people on their journeys. Um, yeah. So if that feels like a fit for people, great. If they've got another service in mind or another support in mind, I'd encourage them to explore that. I think, yeah. you know, the hard thing that we're facing specifically in Australia at the moment is demand for services and something mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about. Yeah. Um, so I think, that can bring out some really hard thoughts for people, but there are supports available. Um, And um, there are services that have availability and they they do want to actually genuinely support you. Um, They care to support you. And I think I I would just encourage people to reach out for that support Um, and really just that they are so worthy of it. Yes, yeah, so say. <laughs> deserving of it. And yeah. that it's there. It really is. Yeah. And if they take that step, the, the person's gonna meet them there at that step. Um
1: when I when I yeah. tell you, um you probably have never experienced Katrina's little happy dance she does when she <laughs> <and> when somebody <laughs> takes a big step. But it's really it's the best happy dance I've ever seen probably. Um, mine's I, I don't know, mine's a bit of a wiggle, but um the support is there and everybody really is worthy. And, you know, like Katrina said, that's, you know, that's the whole reason why we started our business because we really do want to support people. I know that a big barrier is sometimes people turning, you know, being turned away and, mm. you know, maybe not validated or, you know, we know that I really guess a systemic issue um that we're facing at the moment is, you know, people with, eating disorders that aren't you know (laughs) in commas typical or you know um they're not being validated in their eating disorders it's really really difficult to be turned away it's really really difficult to be told you know no I actually I I can't help you or you know you might get the message that you're not worthy of that help or that you're not sick enough or that you know you don't look a particular way so you're not you, you can't access that help I just want to, like, give strength to all those people to keep trying because there are people who work from some incredible frameworks and we are some of those people, I will say, um, (laughs) that our doors are open. We don't have actual doors, but our metaphorical doors are open to, like, bring you in wherever you are at, no matter what your experience is, Um, diagnosed, undiagnosed, an inkling of maybe this is what's going on. Um, the support's there, we're there. Um, you just, unfortunately, sometimes you have to hunt a little bit for it, but I hope that anyone listening can, yeah.
2: yeah. And I think like on a personal level, um, creating Lotus was really important for um, me to have a service that was safe for people in all sizes bodies.
1: Yeah. And
2: um, I think what I would say is if you're reaching out to a service and you don't feel that that service is that, there are services that work under approaches yeah. like like that um, positive frameworks or Haze or is services that you, yeah. which we are one of. And yeah. I think that's so important to me um, to clearly advertise that as a practitioner and a service and yeah. a person, because yeah. I guess why I wanted to, one of the reasons, as many, I wanted to work in this space was, I wish I had the support. I wish I felt safe to get support. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I want to change that narrative for other people's experiences. Yeah. And so I think um, that's something that we just believe in so much and so if that's something work that, on every day <laughs> if that's something one person listens to and realizes that there are supports out there for people in all experiences yeah. and all body yeah. sizes that just means the world to me that one person could get that message. Um, so that's what I would add to those people as well with that fear
1: absolutely it's really at the core of what we do
2: and it's so refreshing to hear
0: so thank Thank you you. so much Kelly and Katrina it's been thank you
2: thank you so much for having us yes so excited thank you so much
0: Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.